One of the great things about the internet is being able to connect different people and different communities around the world that otherwise wouldn't have had that opportunity. And these are still such exciting times for that, I think. Um, so, so I found myself in a group where we would often discuss movies and, and people would always be asking, what movies has this person made? What else have they done? What else have they written, directed? And I, I'll, I'll need to cut a long story short here, but I basically pooled some aspects of my database, some other data that people in this movie discussion group were kind of like collecting as well, and on the 17th of October, 1990, I wrote and published the very first version of the IMDb software. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Cole Needham is the founder and CEO of IMDb, the first business ever to be acquired by Amazon when they were basically only selling books. IMDb is the world's most popular and authoritative source for information on movies, TV shows, and of course, celebrities. Cole created IMDb from a personal database of movie information, which he began creating as a teenager. He combined that data collected from the internet in the late 80s and into the 90s, and of course, throughout the years. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Amazon's acquisition of IMDb back in 1998. Obviously, at the time, they had plans to sell more than books. Maybe they'd sell movie CDs. And today, well, we know they sell everything today. But for Cole, I had to assume that he loved film. So I started by asking him, did he love film? And if so, how did it all start? Yes. Yeah. And, and first of all, I should say thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you for the invitation. And always happy to talk about IMDb and where we are going. Um, <laughs> so so, so my, my story with Phil begins when I was five years old. And I entered the colouring competition in the local newspaper prize being two tickets to go see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I had to color between the lines and I was staying with my grandmother at the time. And so she, you know, I don't even know if five-year-old me even understood the concept of a coloring competition, but she handed <laughs> me the crayons. I colored between the lines and, and lo and behold, we, uh, I won the, the, the tickets to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that was my first cinema experience. So I fell in love with film at that point. All I wanted to do after coming back from seeing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was see more and more films. So I would always want to go to the cinema. I would always try and be watching films on TV. Uh, we had three TV channels in the UK at this time and no home video. So this is like the early 
1970s to mid-70s. I begged and pleaded with my mother to take me to see Jaws when I was nine years old. That was the first film that kind of showed me the power of film to get inside your head and mess with your head. So after seeing Jaws, I didn't want to go on a beach holiday ever again. <laughs> I, certainly did, I certainly did not want to go into the water ever again, even though we don't have sharks in in the in the sea off the UK. I, I yeah, I grew up in I grew up in Manchester in the north of England. Uh, I now live in Bristol in the southwest of England. There is no danger of a shark attack anywhere near us. Um, yet yet somewhere in the back of my mind I'm I'm still haunted. I'm haunted by the shark. Uh, my preferred form of exercise is actually swimming. So you could say that I've been trying to outswim that pesky shark since 1975, 76. Um, so I I was the right age for Star Wars. And so all of all of just all of these films were kind of pouring into my mind and and, and shaping me as well. And also, I mean, the, 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 there's kind of like this curious connection between film and technology in the history of IMDb. And I was also fascinated by technology on screen. So so I kind of like developed this fascination of, oh, there's a movie with the computers in it and kind of like, oh, what's going on here? So I was very fortunate in 1979, I received my first home computer as a Christmas present. So build it yourself, Kit, uh, 256 bytes of memory. You programmed it in assembly language, very, 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 very primitive in today's standards. But that gave me this active interest in technology because now I had a computer. So leading, leading, into, leading into kind of like the 80s, I feel very fortunate to have been born at an interesting point in time because we've got like the home computer revolution in the late 1970s. Uh, I was 12 when I received my first computer. And then the home video revolution in the early 80s. And so with the advent of home video, all of a sudden, I could satisfy my quest to see more movies much more easily. The video store was like just this Kind of like, I don't know, like Aladdin's cave <laughs> of movies that I could see and movies that I'd heard of that had never been on TV. And so really, really, really fueled my passion. But this created a little bit of a problem in that I started to lose track of what I'd seen and what I hadn't seen. So the classic film geek thing to do is buy like a paper diary and, and I would write down every day which movies I saw on, on which day kind of thing. Just the title in a little paper diary. Slip it in my pocket and I could go to the video store. And it's kind of like, oh, if this looks familiar. Uh, you kind of like go back and go, oh, yeah, no, no, I, I did see this one after all. And, but, but though, like I, I started to become fascinated with the credits of all of these movies that I was seeing. And so, so 
So I would see like the name of a director. I don't think I don't think like fourteen year old me knew what a director did. Uh, I maybe knew what a writer did and had an idea of what the actors did <laughs> in terms of their performances. But but I was I would see like oh well, this director always works with this cinematographer or this production designer always seems to be on the films with these producers and this kind of thing. So so I did something terribly geeky. I decided to convert my paper diary into a database. And so, I, and my, by the way, I, I should say by 1981, uh, computer technology had advanced sufficiently. I now had a 48K <laughs> memory <laughs> computer, 48 whole K. And so, so I went to my computer and I created a database. So I'm self-taught software engineer. Uh, created my own database. And every time I saw a new movie, I would, on VHS, I would rewind after watching it, press play again, and type in the, the credits. Ridiculously geeky, but it worked out all right in the end. So that's that's my journey through kind of like technology and, and those those early days in Manchester. It's amazing. If you were to go back, though, to seeing Snow White that first time, what was it? Do you, can you remember? I mean, it's so long ago, right? We're the, we're the same age, so I'm not saying, you know, but it was so long ago. And when I think back or, or you think back to being there, what was it that just, that resonated with you that just you fell in love with? I think so, 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 so a couple of things. And by the way, I do remember this very, very clearly. It's such, it's one of my, my earliest memories is being in the taxi with my grandmother going, you know, going to the, the big city, which I'd probably never been to before either. So, and just the, 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 the screen, the, the, the lights, the darkness, the huge screen in front of us. And just being captivated by the music, the colors, story was just literally life-changing for me. Absolutely. And do you look at it in terms, it's amazing, and and we'll get into it because I read that, um, I don't know if you hit the number yet, but I forgot where I read it recently that you're looking to hit your 15,000 film. And, and now I got to believe you actually have the stats to prove it. <laughs> I, I do. I do. So I did hit my 15,000 film. So uh, I, it was a lovely piece of timing, actually, because I ended up, I've just come back from a trip to see the IMDb teams in Seattle and in Los Angeles. And I managed to time my fifteen thousand film to be a team movie. Whenever I go to a whenever I go to a city where we we have team members, I take the team out to see a movie. We go out for dinner afterwards. We talk about the movie that we that we've just seen. And the beauty of this, so so this is fifteen thousand unique films. So my all time favorite film is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mm. I've seen that more than fifty times Amazing. but that only counts for one of the wow, 15,000 okay so when you get near a milestone movie I don't have to stop watching movies in order to hit the milestone I can just switch to re-watching things I've already seen 
and then I can kind of like so I get to I get to fourteen nine nine nine, and then I can rewatch movies until we get to the point where I'm taking the team out to a movie. So so we saw uh, we saw Joyride, uh, which is a brilliant new comedy in Seattle. A huge group of us went to see it, celebrated my fifteen thousand movie, and then. My 15,001st movie was Barbie. <laughs> and my, and my 15,002nd movie was Oppenheimer. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that because I'm actually very excited because tomorrow, and we're taping on a Thursday, tomorrow I have already bought my tickets for Oppenheimer, which I heard was pretty incredible. Uh, just uh, I love historical type films and just from obviously word of mouth and and how hard it is to buy tickets i sense that it's a it's a pretty good film it certainly is we went at 7 a.m to an imax screening (laughs) in san diego Uh, it was the only it was the only time we could we could get the the tickets for and then i'm desperate to see it again and so but having having seen it digital imax I want to see it on 70 millimeter film IMAX, which is how Christopher Nolan is hoping audiences will see it. So that is, you can see that in three cinemas in the UK. So I have booked tickets for the BFI IMAX in London. I'm in Bristol in the Southwest. Uh, Booked tickets for that. They're doing four screenings a day. Every single screening is sold out until the 21st of August at 9 a.m. Wow. in the morning. So I'm 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 going to I'm going to I have my ticket for a rewatch for then. Wow. So yeah, uh, I'll, you're, I'll, you're getting me excited about uh, going to see it tomorrow. And you know, I want to I want to ask you, you know, what do you think it is about film that really captures or ha- has has made this a uh, really your, your lifelong passion is it an escape is it uh just this world outside of your world what is it that really drives you to go see film that, that is a that is what we call a good question and i have an answer in the form of a movie quote love it so my all-time favorite movie quote is from Grand Canyon, which is a 1991 movie. And the, the quote is this, all of life's riddles are answered in the movies. Okay, it's great. Mm. It's a great quote. It's Steve Martin gets to deliver that quote within the film. All of life's riddles are answered in the movies. And so for me, it's amazing to be able to watch a film or, or a show, watch a film or a show, and be transported to another culture, another time, and experience life in another language, Uh, experience uh, a kind of like a present day story and kind of like learn more about the world and about the characters and how people might interact, to be taken to the future where there's an imagined possibility, Mm. an imagined possibility where maybe, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or uh, or what if this didn't happen? And kind of go, hmm, that is that does that makes you that makes you think about 
kind of like maybe examine your own feelings on things, your own thoughts on things, um, whether it be a true story, whether it be an invented story, or even, I mean, one of one of my little kind of like things that I kind of enjoy quite a bit is a modern day story where the filmmaker imposes a kind of clever constraint on the world that doesn't actually exist. But then they build the story around that that kind of that kind of thing. Like a uh, good example of this, um, Yorgos Lantimos's movie The Lobster from 2015, and it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> how would society work if the if the world operated as it did in The Lobster? And you know, what animal would you choose to be turned into? How desperate would you be to find a new romantic partner? All of those kind of things that kind of like makes makes you think. So, so, so I, I feel like I'm in this great sort of like laboratory <laughs> where, having seen fifteen thousand movies, you've kind of like you've you've had one of the exciting things is you've kind of like had quite a lot of kind of like second-hand experience obviously like i'm not going to equate you know watching a movie to actually living the living the experience but you you've had that kind of thing yet yet every time i see a new movie it's kind of like oh i never thought about that before it's kind of like the the, the possibilities are so limitless and the, the the new surprises that you can always have, and you can go into a film. I I prefer not to prejudge things. I I kind of go in with an open mind, sit down, and where is this film going to take me? And then I kind of come out slightly changed by one fifteen thousandth. <laughs> Of before I went into the movie, and then I'm I'm ready for the ready for the next one and the next piece of next piece of learning. So it's a it is a it's a it's a good way to experience the world and to learn about how other people might think and and what what things might change. Let's talk about IMDb and and the start of the business and as thought about it. You know, I it came into my life when I think back when the internet started, you know, and I remember seeing it and I was like, oh, wow, this is super cool. Like I could see what movies, you know, actors were in the films when they came out. But tell me the story of, because it wasn't as if you just started this right off the bat, you were working in corporate America. When was it? And when did you decide to say, hey, let me follow this and 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 maybe this could become a business yeah this is a this is a different kind of story than you might typically cover just because of the the, the various aspects that that go into this so it might so help my ratings to... that'd be good <laughs> so if i if i take a kind of like a little bit of a step back so my interest in technology, my interest in, in movies back in 1981, and a family friend had started to take myself and their son to the Manchester Computer Club. And so it was kind of like this, it, it's, it's kind of it's such, a, such a strange thing to describe now, but computer enthusiasts would go along with their home computers and like plug them in. 
and you would kind of like be able to wander around and experience someone else's computing device. Very, very strange, but that was that was the way things worked back then. And so I started to play some early computer games, and I'd been teaching myself how to write software. And so I, I kind of like, I borrowed the family friend's computer with obviously with their permission and wrote like a very simple game and they were like wow this 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 could this is a good game <laughs> we could we could do we could do something we could do something something with this and so we ended up we kind of like cut a deal this is as a 14 year old so cut a deal with the family friend that i would borrow their computer i would write and design and write the computer games uh, they would get a percentage, 20% of the sale price of the game. My mother would act as kind of like the administrator for the business. So she would bank the checks. She would, she would go to the post office with the tapes that we would put the, put the games on. And so, so the summer of 1981, I designed a series of computer games. We took an ad out in the UK computer press that was in time to catch the Christmas market. And then orders started arriving through the, through the mail. So my entrepreneurial journey began when I was 14 years old. So soon earned enough money to buy my own computer. So with by mutual consent with our family friends, you know, they they then faded out with their 20%. And it was just <laughs> myself, myself and my mother doing uh, you know, me, me doing the, the, the design work and the authorship of the software and she doing the, the admin kind of thing. And that kept me in everything a teenager could want. So uh, records, clothes, VHS tapes, <laughs> uh, eventually driving lessons. So, so I kind of like I'd, I'd had that I'd had that experience, but the computer market can be quite fickle, and and certainly in those early '80s days, a computer could arrive, and then it would be superseded by something else. So, found myself kind of like, oh, this the, the computer, this particular machine is kind of like fading away here. So, I better I better focus on my studies, uh, which I did. So, I, I went away to college. I did a computer science degree. Um, and it was during the during the summer vacations from college I got online. So I've been online hmm. since 1985. Dial-up modem, 300-board, kind of like you could read it, the email, like you could read the letters coming in faster than, <laughs> than they could be downloaded. So, so those very early kind of like internet stone age, no World Wide Web, I joined various mailing lists and suddenly discovered that my weird fascination with movies and credits was shared by other people. One of the great things about the internet is being able to connect different people and different communities around the world that otherwise wouldn't have had that opportunity. And these are still such exciting times for that, I think. So I found myself in a group where we would often discuss movies and, and people would always be asking, what movies has this person made? What else have they done? What else have they written, directed? And I'll need to cut a long story short here, but I basically pooled 
some aspects of my database, some other data that people in this movie discussion group were kind of like collecting as well. And on the 17th of October, 1990, I wrote and published the very first version of the IMDB software. You would download it to your own computer. There's no World Wide Web. And all we had were directors and cast. But having launched that, a couple of weeks later, somebody mailed and said, love the database. Have you thought of adding writers? And so I wrote them back and I said, well, do you want to volunteer and join our team? I'll give you the writers of every movie I've seen. I'll give you some software to help manage the data coming in and publish shit back out and, and we'll have writers. And they said, yes. A couple of weeks later, same thing with composers. And so in those early years, we just kind of accumulated movie and TV fans from around the world that just were, that all they wanted to do was share their love of entertainment with other fans. And, and that's, that's still, I, like, here I am 33 years later, and at a fundamental level, I'll say, my job is still the same. <laughs> and I can't believe because it's great to talk to you and I, the energy and the passion for film I'm a guy, if I saw 15,000 films, I, I don't know, I'd be like moping around, like, you know, and you still have that energy, which is incredible. And I'm sure you've, you've had this business. Obviously, there was a point in time when you sold it to Amazon, but you've run this business. You've been part of this business. This has really been a big part of your life. And it seems to me that you are still really enjoying this. And at the end of the day, it comes down to maybe what you saw early on when people were just sharing you in from Snow White and just really loving it. Yeah. Well, and one of, one of the things, one of the things for me, again, going back to all of life's riddles are answered in the movies. If IMDb can help a customer find something great to watch that they wouldn't otherwise have found. And that can be just because, wow, I, hey, I just saw this movie directed by this person. What else has she directed? I just saw this movie written by this person. What else have they written? Or kind of come to the, come to the IMDb site, come to the IMDb app and get a personal recommendation that comes from based on what you've rated before, based on pages that you've viewed before. And if we then connect them to a movie that changes their life, be it on a Snow White kind of basis, or they see a film. I mean, quite often you will, you'll read interviews with filmmakers and, and, and you know, they may be asked, what was the film? that made you want to be a filmmaker. And if we can be a part of that, like I, I would, we're starting to hear, hear kind of stories about that, uh, where I, kind of like some of the younger generation of directors have grown up with IMDb and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, like I remember, I, I, I won't name the person, but someone that, that, that you, would, you would have heard of, they said to me, they said, oh, my mother introduced me to IMDb when I was, when I was, when I was eight. <laughs> so they've been an IMDb customer since they were eight. We were part of their film education. 
Yeah. And then they have taken what they've learned from IMDb and some of the directions which we've pointed them in. And and then that's informed their own filmmaking journey. So that that's one kind of like that's that's certainly one thing that keeps me enthusiastic and keeps me engaged. And then the other thing is, so we're kind of jumping around on the story a little bit. I feel like I, I parked us somewhere in the 90s that so we'll need to come back to that. <laughs> we, we can always go back to the 90s. No <laughs> Indeed. So, so in the kind of like early 2000s, we were kind of starting to be pulled in two different directions because there were people, people who were film fans, uh, everybody from kind of like casual, oh, I just need to look something up or I'm looking for a great movie to see or where can I see this at the nearest theatre, um, down to kind of like those in-depth, oh, I'm, I'm a fan, but I'm passionate about trivia or I'm passionate about quotes or the thing for me is soundtracks of the film, those kind of things. But then on the other side, we discovered that we were being widely used by people within the film and television industry. And they were using IMDb to make hiring decisions, to make casting decisions, to kind of like look and go, you know, we'll, we, we want a film that like looks like this. And mm. it's kind of like, well, who, who shot that? Who, who did the production design for that? Who did the visual effects for that? Who did the set decoration for that? How did they get that? How did they get that look? And it's kind of like, oh, you know, I should hire that person to work on my film. And so, so we've kind of been torn into, kind of pulled into two different directions. And we ended up, we ended up with, well, you know, why don't we create a version of IMDb that's aimed at people within the entertainment industry? And so we launched IMDb Pro. It's a subscription service. We launched it at the Sundance Film Festival in 2002. Mm. Okay, and, and this was, it's interesting to reflect back on this now because this was very early days for subscription products on the internet. Like there were, there were things like you could get newspapers and magazines and you could yeah. subscribe and that would give you access to a digital version of their publication. But we were super early on that kind of like, oh, it's just a digital product. There's no real world equivalent of this. We launched at Sundance and that gave people within the industry access to new tools that we had designed for their use to help them find new talent, help them track how, uh, how movies were doing in terms of box office, help keep them informed of the news and um, all of these different aspects of everything that you could possibly need to do your job within the film industry was and is available in IMDb Pro. And then, of course, it, it gets for me as a film fan, you suddenly start to discover I, I meet people who are my entertainment industry heroes and, and kind of like I might be introduced to them with, oh, this is Cole, he's the founder and CEO of IMDb. And then that person will go, oh, IMDb, I love IMDb. I, I have IMDb Pro. And you know, they'll get their phone out and they'll show me in their favorite apps at the bottom on an iPhone. It's kind of like, it's not just that I have the app. It's like, I have the IMDb Pro app in the bottom right of, right of my phone. And, and that's such a, um, such a privilege 
How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel when you see that? Because I think back to you talked about Snow White and Jaws and these movies that just you fell in love with this film right away, right? And it became part of your life and obviously entertainment in Hollywood. And now you have these famous directors and and script writers and whatever it might be coming to you and you're their hero in a lot of ways saying, look, this is what helped me probably get my first job or whatever it might be. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so it's a huge it's a huge honor. and, And it's also a great it's a great responsibility as well. We're helping to power the entertainment industry. Um, but then then that's a great responsibility too in there. And so in more recent years, what, what we've what we've been trying to do, particularly on the on the pro front, is do what we can, and it's only a small part, do what we can in terms of helping for more authentic casting, more diversity of talent, both behind the camera and in front of the camera and and so it it's it is it makes me feel tremendously proud but also there's there's a great responsibility in all of this in all of this too and that but it's the kind of thing that can help you through some of the the darker times when when things are getting when things are getting tough and i don't know you know, several things have gone wrong. Things don't always go right. That is true. <laughs> so thing, thing, things, yeah, things, things can go wrong. Uh, things can go wrong at any time and all the time. And what's worse is just because something went wrong yesterday doesn't mean that something's not going to go wrong today or tomorrow. And those those kind of the the memories, the kind of like the the responsibility, and kind of and and just all of the all of the things that IMDb has meant to me and continues to mean to me, and the the great team that we have that help build all of this is the things that can kind of see you through when things are really really challenging. Was there ever a time that it became incredibly challenging? And knowing this is an entrepreneur, those times happen. But were you ever thought, hey, maybe, maybe I can make this a side project. I, 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 maybe I'll step away and start a new business or another job. Or, or, or did you never have that thought? There, there have definitely been tough times. Okay, and I'll kind of answer the question in in, in different uh, kind of different orders. But there have definitely been tough times along the way. But one of the things I've never I've never had the need or even the thought to do something different. Okay, and that is it's it's actually because so we're part of we are part of Amazon. There's a great kind of entrepreneurial spirit within the company itself. And so people will sometimes like say to me, they'll say, uh, they'll say like, wow, so you've been doing this for 33 years. It's been my full-time job for 27 of those. And we've been part of Amazon as a wholly owned subsidiary for 25 of those. Like, 
aren't you fed up? Don't you yearn for a new challenge? But the beauty, the beauty of this, and I, I don't know if this is kind of like the, the right the right terms to talk about it, but my role is continually evolving. And what we do is continually evolving as well. So I kind of describe it as my, my role has kind of like a, a half-life of about 18 months. So today, I am not doing about half of what I was doing 18 months ago. <laughs> and in 18 months' time, 50% of what I'm doing today will have changed radically. Okay, not, and it's not always the same 50%. You know, some things have, some things have remained true throughout. Um, hire and engage a great team. <laughs> Thank goodness <laughs> that remains true. Always be customer obsessed. That remains true. But it's kind of like, I feel like, I feel like I'm kind of like getting a new role, getting a promotion <laughs> because what we do, the scope of what we do is always increasing. The number of customers that we reach is always growing. And we are primarily a technology company. And the beauty of technology is even if we do nothing, ourselves, the technology that we build all our products on gets radically better. It's also on a kind of like, kind of like going back to, if, if you know it, Moore's Law, every 18 months, you can double the, you basically, you can double the number of transistors you can get on a piece of silicon. Therefore, you know, all, all kinds of things follow on from that. And so over the time, we get to build customer experiences that we just wouldn't have thought were possible even just a few years before. Mm. And so that provides great excitement. It provides great opportunities. But it also, there's also a little bit of pressure, <laughs> which is a good, healthy pressure. Does, does no harm. Jeff Bezos, founder and CEO of I, uh, founder and original CEO of Amazon.com. So Jeff, would write the annual shareholder letter and now falls to current CEO Andy Jassy. And both Jeff and Andy's letters to shareholders are gold mines of business advice. Mm. Absolute gold mines of business advice. And a few years ago, Jeff Jeff wrote in one of the shareholder letters, uh, one of the challenges is that customer expectations are always increasing as technology gets better. So today's, ooh, ah, brand new experience soon becomes, oh, okay, trivially forgotten how complex <laughs> that brand new experience, that brand new experience was. And so that's very inspiring and very motivational when you, when you work in this kind of like intersection of entertainment and technology. So no, no desire to do anything else because what I do change, changes at such a great rate uh, kind of thing over there. <laughs> More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. I'm Charlotte Alter, and this is Person of the Week, a new show from Time about the people who shape our world and the forces that shape them. As a senior correspondent for Time, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that to understand our world, you need to understand the people who influence it. 
So this summer, I'll be having more conversations with the humans behind the headlines, a lot more. And I'm bringing them to you firsthand. Are you ready to meet Time's Person of the Week? Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. What was it? You were acquired by Amazon over 20 years ago, right? Before now I see, and I would think, you know, Amazon Studios. But my question is, how did that come about? And what made you decide to sell the business to Amazon at that time? Because even Amazon at that time wasn't what people might think Amazon is today, right? It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. So what was it? That so so I, yeah. If I if I take you back to kind of like where we were in the nineties. So so we were we began as downloadable software. We're all volunteers. We all have day jobs. The summer of ninety three. So like thirty years ago, pretty much this month. Um, one of the original, well, well now the original team members, and mailed me and said, "Hey, love the IMDb software." have you thought of having a web interface to it? Okay. And I'd heard of the World Wide Web because one of my co-workers at HP had written a web browser. They'd written a web browser. And I, I remember those early days. So, so my, my colleague at work was a guy called Dave. And I remember like Dave bringing me into his office. And he's kind of like, so look, I've written this. This is a web browser. And like, look at this. And they, they clicked a link. And we had like a satellite image of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco taken like six hours ago. And it was kind of like, wow. Totally. <laughs> you know, like For 1993. People, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, you know, people, uh, people had low expectations of what you could, what you could do online. And, and so anyway, so I, I replied to the person who contacted me, a guy called Rob. Uh, a guy called Rob contacted me. And I said, yeah, love a website version of IMDb. Let's, uh, let's go for it. And so, so we launched a website. Now, no advertising, no commercial use of the internet at this time. So it's just on a college server. Um, we suddenly, we were overwhelmed with traffic. We had to look for other college servers that could host IMDb. It's all kind of like, it's just volunteer time, volunteer college servers, everything kind of like running on that basis. 1995 came along, the web was just booming. And uh, there there were a couple of things that were kind of like going on there. But the, the big thing was our traffic on a compound basis was doubling every two weeks. And so our little hobby was like getting a bit out of control. And so we were faced with this very difficult decision, which is, do we say that was a fun five years, but we're going to have to shut it down because we can't do it anymore? Or do we incorporate, see if we could sell some advertising, and maybe one or two of us could work part-time on keeping it up to date. Now, anyone listening to this today will be kind of like, well, he doesn't sound very entrepreneurial, does he? Five years online and didn't think that this could be a business. Context is everything. 
1995, you could count the number of websites that were ad-supported on two hands. Yeah. And you didn't even know if, if, if this was going to last at all or anything. But we agonized over this across the, across the year. We, we decided, obviously, to go the incorporation route. We figured out a way to divide the share capital according to how long you'd been involved and how much work you were doing. Everybody was happy with the allocation that they got. We took no venture capital money at all. We bought our first web server on a credit card. We launched imdb.com in time for the Oscars in 1996. Two weeks later, I'm on the phone to our first potential advertiser. They'd never bought any online advertising before. I'd never sold any online advertising (laughs) before. And, you know, they were like, well, how much is it for a month? And I'm like, a month, a month. (laughs) (laughs) We owed, I'm not going to tell you what the value was, but the web server cost X dollars. So I just said 3X. And they went, sure, we'll do that. And so... We closed the deal two weeks after after we launched. We paid off the credit card debt oh, before nice. it was due. You know, you have four weeks to pay yeah. the interest before the interest kicks in. Four weeks before the four weeks were up, we paid off the credit card debt, thus becoming possibly the world's first profitable internet company. Okay, now now I, I'm probably romanticizing that a little bit, but you know, <laughs> but there there we were. We sold our first piece of advertising to a movie studio in the summer of '96. That was my cue to quit my day job and become our first full-time employee. Everyone else is still a volunteer shareholder. However, I'm now running yet another list, and that is how brave are you to quit your day job and join the paid team from the volunteer shareholder group? And as soon as the revenue run rate could afford another salary, I would call up the person at the top of the list, quit your job, you can join the team. I figure we never met in person, by the way. So I figured that if you were going to quit your day job, you should at least speak to me once on the phone before we before before you quit your day job. So so we were gradually growing our paid employee base from the volunteer shareholders. We were expanding the business. We were I mean it's so hard to kind of like describe just how wild west pioneering this was because we like we we sold our first advertising and so it's then like, well, I guess we need to write the ad server software. <laughs> you know, we do, we do, because we'd sold the advertising. And it's kind of like, well, how on earth do we put ads? You got to figure it out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was, it was kind of like, it was very much figuring out how you would do this or why you would do it one way and not the other way. So, so very much Wild West kind of time. So to get to the, the crux of your new question. December 1997, and I got an email from a guy called Alan Kaplan. And Alan's job title was General Counsel Amazon.com. <laughs> and, and Alan's email is, goes exactly like this because I still have the email. Hi, Cole. Jeff Bezos, open parentheses, 
Amazon.com's founder and CEO. <laughs> Close parentheses. This is how long ago this I was. I know. I love it. Jeff, Jeff Bezos needed an intro in an email. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos and I were discussing movie websites. Naturally, IMDb came up in the conversation. We're going to be in the UK in January 98. We'd love to meet to discuss some business ideas. Now, again, like a little bit of context here, it's December 97. Right. If today you got the equivalent of that email, like, <laughs> before you've even replied, yeah. you would be breaking out the exit champagne. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, before before you even hit send on the yes, we'll meet kind yeah. of thing. But contextually, Amazon.com had only been a publicly traded company for seven months. Hmm. They only sold books yep. and they had never acquired another company. Wow. I so we yeah, 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 yeah. So we thought we were going along to have a business meeting with Jeff and with Alan to discuss our advertising deal because Amazon were advertising on IMDb. Um, so we went along. Jeff heard a, a longer story of IMDb's founding. We heard the equivalent story from Jeff about the early days of Amazon. And it was kind of like, wow, these companies have got a lot in common. Um, and part of that was very much the customer obsession very much the customer obsession. And and so Jeff's kind of like, well, so we called this meeting because we have an idea. Amazon is going to be going from selling books to music to video, VHS tapes, and these shiny new round things called DVDs, mm. if they ever catch on. <laughs> we're looking for a site to partner with. And this is why we're talking to you. Now, we could do a content licensing deal, but much more interesting to us would be an outright acquisition. And so it's kind of like, and it, it just kind of like just, just what Jeff was talking about, how we could work together. It just seemed such a natural fit. And the beauty of this, and given this is definitely for an entrepreneurial podcast, the best time to sell your company is when you don't need <laughs> to sell your company. Oh, so, right. so, so, you know, we were not, we were not shopping the company around. We were not looking for any external investors. We were doing very nicely. We were profitable. We were kind of like keeping the employee costs in lockstep with the growth in the advertising business. So we were, we were profitable. Uh, we were profitable. Amazon.com at the time was not <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it's kind of like, well, you know, we should talk more about this. And myself and one of the other team members went out to Seattle and we met with Jeff and we met with the Amazon management team. Uh, Jeff uh, gave us a personal tour of the Seattle warehouse. We kind of like, you know, kind of got to know each other a, a little bit better. And one thing led to another, get the, get the lawyers involved to kind of sort out the acquisition contract. And on the 24th of April, 1998, IMDb became a wholly owned subsidiary of Amazon.com. They obviously kept me on to run it 
as CEO of the subsidiary. They obviously then offered employment contracts to everyone who was already an IMDB employee. And then all of our volunteer shareholders, they also got to got to join join IMDB as full-time employees if they wanted to do that. And there we were. Now, on that day that our acquisition was announced, Amazon announced the acquisition of two other companies. So we're actually jointly the first companies that Amazon acquired. Amazon acquired a UK bookseller, which became Amazon.co.uk, a German bookseller, which became uh, (laughs) Amazon.de, and then IMDb, which remains IMDb. And so at first, the media were kind of like... What's, what's, what's going on? <laughs> Why, what book, bookseller buys right, bookseller? Right. Check, check. Amazon buys IMDb. Then the video store launched in November of 98. And it's like, oh, that's why. Then a few years later, downloadable movies on Amazon.com in the days before the internet was fast enough to stream, powered by IMDb, also launched on Amazon.com. It's like, oh, then Amazon Instant Video launched. Oh, then Amazon Studios launches. Amazon starts to get into production of movies and shows. Oh, then the uh, Kindle Fire tablet launches (laughs) with the X-Ray feature uh, powered by IMDb. Oh, Fire TV launches with content from IMDb, X-Ray from IMDb. Oh, all the way through to the Alexa devices, um, which if you we help Alexa answer many of the entertainment-related questions. Amazing. So there's a good chance if you ask Alexa an entertainment question, she will use info from IMDb. So going back to my point earlier, this is if in 1990 you had said to me, oh, yeah, sure, Cole, one day there'll be a device that sits in the palm of your hand, you speak to it, and it's an interface to IMDb. It would be like, yeah, sure, yeah. that sounds like <laughs> science fiction. Yeah, be like, yeah, now it's right every day. Yeah, every day, every day. It's just an everyday occurrence. And so, so that's been the beauty of being part of Amazon through throughout this period. Now, I see we have a message about running out of time. Yes, we're running out of time. I I have so many questions. Well, Keith, I I I don't mind staying a little bit later, but I don't know about your timing. But carry on. (laughs) I will. Will I just want a a few more questions because it's so fascinating to me in terms of where you started, where you came from. My question, obviously, today, and the big topic is, especially as of late, is artificial intelligence. And how does that play into what you've done? Is there a correlation? Is there a fear, worry? Is it something that they're pulling the information from you? Is there, what's the the background there? Right. Well, so first of all, I should say, generally, I, I don't get scared by new technology. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the the technologist in me kind of like will will look at any Enjoys technology <laughs> and kind of like think okay where 
where could we where Ooh. could we go with this? So first of all, don't fear technology, and also I, like I, I, I wouldn't fear. It, there can be a lot of kind of like fear mongering about yeah. like, where where yeah. is the future going? It's kind of like you know I'm I'm much more a kind of like practical, pragmatic sort of like well let's see what can be done today, and then let's see what this technology does, which could be applicable to us. So for us, it's a little early days. It's early days for us. but So we're kind of, we're keeping an eye on the space, seeing if there are things that the tech can can maybe help us do more easily. But there, there isn't kind of like, don't, don't, don't feel threatened, feel like, hmm, what, what interesting thing what new way could we serve customers through this technology that makes the IMDB experience better? And that could be, so for example, that could be, and it all, it all depends on kind of like how you define AI. So one of the things that we're very much focused on at the moment is helping people decide what to watch. Mm. And we have various algorithms that you might characterize them as AI, um, but then once you kind of like peer behind the scenes, you, if you can understand what the algorithm is, it's kind of like, oh, maybe that's not AI because we understand what it does. But what we're able to do with just existing technology is kind of like if you've rated a set of titles, we can then help generate recommendations based on what our view of your tastes is. So if AI can help us tune those recommendations so that they are even better i mean they're they're great today right. like i'm i love like one of the things like a, also another reason and another thing that keeps me enthusiastic about my job is i can genuinely say i'm my own services biggest fan <laughs> so, so so like i am on imdb i am getting recommendations of shows i am kind of like finding these connections except you've things. seen but, them all already uh, well no 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 Fifteen thousand is is like is, is a is a, is is a not, what how many are there how, oh my goodness right so we so we now cover we now cover more than 14 million titles. Wow. Okay? 14 million titles. And that is, and that's partly because of the way that en the entertainment space has expanded sure. over the years. We, we began covering movies and TV shows only. And then in the, those kind of mid 90s kind of periods, actors started to do voiceovers in video games. So, so it's kind of like, well, we should cover video games because we, we want that kind of like yeah. overlap there. Then it was kind of like, well, you know, we, we should really, we should go deeper into short film. Uh, and so, so we did. And then as technology progressed and people started to be able to make short films digitally, upload them, be that to YouTube or be that to Amazon Prime Video or be that to any other service where you can tell a story audio-visually, and then upload that story, and it can then reach an audience. Then we started to expand into web series, and then streaming became oh, a thing. Yeah. And obviously, oh, yeah. we're, we're going to cover streaming. And then more recently, the, the last two things that we've kind of added to the IMDb catalog is we now do podcasts Ooh, and music like videos. That. 
<laughs> yeah, because that, those boundaries, like yeah, the people, people are telling stories. Uh, the people who are making films and making shows are appearing on podcasts. Their fans want to know. Their fans want to be able to track. Oh, oh, wait a minute. My favorite director is on this podcast. It's kind of like I would have missed it listening to that. In our yeah, industry, and it's, so it's great. All right, I have to. I'm going to ask you one one more question. I'm going to ask you. Well, it's hard to ask you this. I there's two questions. I love documentaries. Those are my my favorite movies of all time. But I would say my favorite movie of all time, and I want to get your opinion on it, is a movie I've probably seen a hundred times called Shawshank Redemption. Hey, well done. You have excellent taste for movies. (laughs) That's what Uh, what uh, I needed to hear. (laughs) Okay, because, so so we have 200 million people visit IMDb across the, the various different interfaces every single month. Any customer can register and vote for movies on a one to 10 scale. We aggregate all of those votes into what we call the IMDb top 250, top 250 movies of all time. And number one in the IMDb top 250 is the Shawshank Redemption. I thought it was. So okay. your, your choice, <laughs> your, your choice. No, 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 don't, 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 don't. I mean, that, that's the beauty of yeah, this. Yeah, it's, and it's Shawshank is one of those movies. It, it came out in 94. Mm-hmm. It was well regarded, but it didn't catch its audience until it came on home video. And then it didn't really catch on until DVDs came in. And people, customers would come on IMDb and they'd be like, oh, I've just seen this great movie, Shawshank Redemption. And like they'd vote it and it was, it climbed the charts. (laughs) And and it has been, it's been number one for literally years and years and years. But that's an example of a great discovery that, that you can do. That otherwise, you know, in the days before the internet, in the days before IMDb, that kind of that that movie may not have caught on uh, to the yeah. worldwide kind of like popularity that that that, that Andrew. All right, my last today. question, and then I'm going to let you go. And I don't even know if I can ask you this because, well, I guess I can ask you it. Uh, I'm hosting this, and you, I don't know if someone who's seen so many movies. You are stuck in a world where they give you one VHS tape and that's all you have to watch for the remainder of your life. What movie is it? It would I would have to take my all-time favorite movie, which is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. I've already seen it 50 times. Uh, I've seen it. I'm learning to speak French. I've seen it twice in French. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I, I've been... I've been to all the locations. Alfred Hitchcock's my all-time favorite director. I could I could watch that film over and over again. Every time every time I watch it, I always find something new that I'd miss, mm-hmm. some connection. I mean the the thing, one of the things that I enjoy about film is you're always you're always a product yourself of every movie that you've seen already. Yeah. But you're also a product of every movie that you've not seen. Mm. <laughs> and so every time right. you go back and rewatch something, 
in the intervening time, you've had a new set of life experiences. You've seen movies that you hadn't previously seen. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is, oh, that's a reference to this film that I hadn't seen last time I saw it. Or I've seen this movie by this director and they've referenced, they've referenced Vertigo in their latest film. And that's now kind of like shaped my understanding of that. So, so I would, I would watch that film over and over again. Um, I would prefer a variety of films, though, to I be fair. <laughs> I, I, I would imagine you would. And I have to thank you for taking the time. I, I could literally, this is one of the only podcasts or, or interviews I've had over 200 plus. I'd love to almost do a part two, but I'm going to let you go and go see a movie. I am going to go see Oppenheimer. So I'm very excited. And in any case, Kyle, it's been incredible talking to you. What a story, building up IMDb, first acquisition for Amazon, and most importantly, the fact you're still doing what you love and, and what you, you started out by going to a, a film with your grandmother, actually winning a coloring contest. So. <laughs> can, I, can I give you, just before we go, I need to give you a little bit of a confession. Yes, please. So, so I was 15 years ago, I was talking to my grandmother about IMDb. And I said, I said, like, it all goes back to the coloring competition that I won when I was five. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I have a terrible confession to make. And I'm kind of like, well, go on, what, tell me more. And so she said, after you went to bed that night, I couldn't help but go over all the bits you missed, correct all the colours that you got wrong. And, and I looked at her and I'm like, we cheated in the competition? We cheated? And, and she's like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really, really, I'm really, really sorry. And, and now for me, everything is a film reference. So, um, so I'm kind of like, oh my goodness, the moment in Fight Club where Ed Norton's character finds out what's really going on, I feel like I've lived that life, that moment in my life, like my love of cinema, my hobby, my passion <laughs> in life, my job, my role, my career, everything that I do is down to a fraudulent colouring competition entry by a, an overzealous grandmother who just couldn't help but do the best for her little grandson. And so, so there, there you go. There's my like guilty I, 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 I love that story because there's no, there's no entrepreneur without imposter syndrome or <laughs> other things. So the good news is grandma did the good thing. She got she, you the movie. And the rest is you. And, and the, the last thing I should say as well, it's been, it's, be, it's, it's been great to talk to you about all of this stuff. It's, it's good to reminisce. And it's one of the things that kind of like keeps me engaged as well. But you mentioned the number of firsts that IMDb has, has done yeah. along, along the way, including, I, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, we were, we were kind of like one of the first 100 websites to launch. Okay. So all of those firsts, but the, the really fascinating thing for me is I know we have many more firsts to come. 
Um, life is one great adventure of new firsts. You kind of don't know where they might be if you could predict where they would be then. <laughs> I don't know if you could predict where they would be. That would be incredibly boring. And you never know when some small step that you take, some small feature that you launch, some new device that you place the experience on is suddenly going to change the whole future direction of the company, what we do for our customers over the the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years kind of Uh, thing. So I am sure it will be a Hollywood ending. And Carl, it was great chatting with you. And thank you again for your time. What a what a success story and just incredible. Mostly just enjoy that you have this passion still for what you do and, and love. And it's gotten me more excited about getting to more films because I, I love, love films. And like you said, you learn so much from them. And uh, just again, at least I got one tomorrow. So I'm excited about that. But but again, thank you for coming on How Success Happens. Truly a pleasure. Thank you very much. And I'm and looking forward to listening. I've I've been listening to all your shows from this year and I've I've learned lots of things along the way too. So thank you for helping in my education. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.